All right. I was looking at the readings for this week, and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, they, they sound pretty severe again. So last week I thought was pretty challenging, then I read them for this week, pretty challenging again. How do I, how do I kind of negotiate through this? I mean, you don't want to go to church every week and kind of get hit with sort of the severity, but I don't pick the readings, just so you know. It's not my fault, but I have to preach what's there. Or I guess I could make it up, but I prefer to preach what's here. Now, I think there's a good amount of misunderstanding, though, about this gospel, right? Because the Lord is talking about entering the narrow gate and all these people who said they knew him, but they didn't enter through the narrow gate, so he closes the door, and then they go to hell. And, um, and then there's all these other people who come from elsewhere who get into heaven. And so we might just think that this is a sort of a simple... Uh, you know, piece of scripture or teaching of Jesus that has to do with, you know, striving or not striving, going to heaven or going to hell. But really what we need to, to look at and what we need to understand is contextually what's going on here. Remember that the Jews are God's chosen people, right? And that, that God made a covenant with Abraham, you and your descendants will be my people and I will be your God. And they remained, of course, God's chosen people. And in a sense, they always are that, because they were the first who God made a covenant with. Now, even at the time of Jesus, there were all these questions about what does, what does salvation or the after, afterlife look like? There are a lot of debates, even in Judaism, about that. And so when Jesus comes and preaches the gospel, the good news, he's challenging a lot of their... Um, you know, held doctrines. Um, really, the way we would properly say it is he's bringing to fulfillment or fruition what Judaism had taught, but now it's being fully revealed in him and in his teaching. And so his main focus then, as he begins his ministry, is preaching to the house of Israel, pre preaching to the Jews. They're the first ones to receive the covenant, they will be the first ones to receive the good news. However, when we look at the scriptures, when we look at the gospels, there's this dynamic of those who accept Jesus and those who do not, right? And the Lord is constantly focused on faith. Have faith in me as, as the Messiah, as your Lord and Savior. You need to accept me to be saved. And that's where we, we need to look at the context of this gospel. That's what he's talking about. He is the narrow gate. It's only through Jesus that one can be saved, that one can have eternal life. And he's talking about a lot of the Jews who heard all of this message and still rejected him. Because he says the master of the house um, is going to lock the door and you're going to say, open the door. Open up heaven to us. And he's going to say, I don't know you. And they're going to say, but we saw you. We were with you when you were preaching in our streets. And he's going to say, but you didn't believe. You didn't believe. Yes, you heard me preaching, but you did not believe. And he will say to them, depart from me, you evildoers. And then he says, and people will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and will recline in the kingdom of God. What he's saying here is, is one of the first indications that the gospel message salvation is not just meant for the Jews. That it comes first to the Jews, 
because they're God's chosen people. But that salvation is for everyone. And this is something that would have been very, very unpopular for the Jews. Because they saw their relationship, right, as, as, as being a very privileged relationship with God. And of course it was. But they, not all of them were prepared that even the Gentiles, you know, everyone else, could actually be saved as well. They were special. They were very, very special. Everybody else was not special at all. So how could they be saved before some of us? You know, before some of the, you know, the special people, God's chosen people could be saved. How could we be left out and other people get in? How is that possible? And then the Lord comes back with, of course, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. That we should not presume that we're just going to get into heaven because of who we are in a special relationship. One of the things you see and you see it in Judaism, but you see it all throughout Christianity, and you see it even today. I mean, it's, it's all throughout humanity. It's, it's sort of in human nature, it would seem. That people seek to differentiate themselves from others, and when they do so, they differentiate themselves as the good people, the special people, and then the rotten people. Right? We see this in politics. You know, me and everybody else who are Republicans are the good people. I don't even have to finish the sentence. And I'm not a Republican. But my point, and I'm not a Democrat, but my point is that you get, you get what I'm saying. It, it's very, we're very quick to do an us and them kind of thing. And it's not just with politics. That's just easy, fish in a barrel, right? Because that's so obvious in our culture right now. It's so divisive. But even between churches, well, thank God we don't go to St. James. You know, or I don't even know where St. James is. So if you're listening to this and you're from St. James, I'm not picking on you. I just mean that we have a tendency to say, well, we're the good church. And we, you know, we are. We're one of them. But we're not the only one. You know, we're the good Christians, right? Because Catholicism was founded by Jesus and all the other Christians are bad. Or all the non-Christians are bad. Or the Muslims are bad. Or, you know, you can take your pick. What we, what we do is we create these distinctions. And that's what the Jews were doing as well. They were scandalized that non-Jews could be saved before Jews. That, that Jews themselves might not even be saved. Because they were privileged. And so we do this. We do this in all kinds of sectors of our society. An us and them dichotomy. From whence does this come, I'm not completely sure, but there's no doubt that we'd like to think of ourselves as special. Perhaps we'd like to think of ourselves as right or as better because other people are, are different than us. And it's easier if we can just claim, well, we're, we're superior in some way. And they are not. What is the antidote for this? Well, the antidote, I believe, has to do with how we define our identity. How should we view ourselves as selves? What is my identity as a self? What's my primary identity? I, I would argue that it, it ought not be pol political. 
It, not, it ought not be with a political party. I'm not saying politics isn't important. It's very important. But as, as Catholics, that should not be our primary identity. Affiliation with a party or affiliation with some sort of outside organization, if you will. I don't even think that our primary identity should be necessarily our vocation, although that's very high. It's probably second. Father, mother, priest, religious. It's very high. The primary identity that we should seek to incorporate is what Jesus tells us, what St. Paul tells us, that we are a self in Christ. We are a self in Christ. I, John, am seeking to be in Christ. You know where St. Paul talks about putting on the armor of the Lord? Putting on Christ. This is what baptism means. We have this beautiful, gigantic, by the way, font in the back. I've never seen a font that big. I'm what, I haven't done an infant baptism yet. I just presume we put them in there and they swim around. <laughs> but it's great. And, and one of the great things about how prominent it is is because it's the most significant sacrament. Why is it the most significant sacrament, most important sacrament? Because you can't receive any other sacrament unless you're baptized. And what does baptism accomplish? It not only forgives sins and, and the stain of original sin, it makes a person a self in Christ. We believe that we're, we're not just physical, but we're spiritual, right? We're body and body and soul. There's an old song about that. Body and four of you know this. Body and soul. And we forget about the soul. So often, because it's easy. Because, you know, the fleshy, the flesh stuff is so uh, imminent. Obviously it's imminent. It's right here. We forget about nurturing the soul. What God does for us, what Jesus does for us in baptism is he, is he changes our soul in such a way so that we can receive divine life within our soul. So that Christ may dwell within us. So that we truly are a self in Christ. So our primary identity ought to be, how am I living in Jesus Christ and how is he living in me? How is he living in me? And in this way, we're, we're all the same. We're, and we're all special. We're all we're all greater than we actually think we are. I remember, you'll, you'll hear me quote C.S. Lewis a lot. This isn't a quote, it's, it's, a, it's more of a summation, but he speaks about how great we actually really are because of baptism. People, people think that actually, it's, it's a common belief that the, the Christian perce per, uh, perception or idea of man is a degradation of man, you know, focusing on sin or guilt or something like that, which it ought not to, that actually a true Christian understanding of, of mankind is that he has now been radically altered. He's now become another self, a self in Christ, a little Christian, a little Christ. And so when we can see ourselves as that, we see ourselves in the same way, as incredibly gifted with this divine life. That there's more that 
There's far more that unites us than that divides us. And aren't we kind of tired of the divisiveness? I mean, again, I, you know, what's out there and, and politics and, and all of that stuff, it matters. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. But there has to be a part of us that, has it gone too far? I mean, you can't post anything on Facebook. Teens, old people still use Facebook. You, you know, you post something like, I wash my dog, you know, and people are ready to, to, to kill you because you use the wrong shampoo. I mean, it, you post anything online, you talk about anything, you can't go anywhere and, and give an opinion without violence almost breaking out. It's, it's, it's kind of, it, it's sad, but it's, it's a very strange, it's a very strange sort of uh, reality that we're living in. People are so ready to be outraged and angry and divisive. Here it cannot be that way. We cannot be that way. And I don't think we are. But we always have to remember we're not going to be that way. We are all selves in Christ. He binds us together. He gives us life. And he will bring us through himself the narrow door into eternity. Please stand.